Okay, let's turn to the Bible. I want to read you a scripture. I, I, I've got a message tonight I think is going to really encourage you. It's, God's been speaking to me for a couple of months now about this text. And, uh, you know, James chapter 5, verse 10, let's take it from there. My brethren, that's you and me, the brothers and sisters. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an, as an example of suffering and patience. Don't you wish that was different, by the way? Don't you wish that that read prosperity and success? Uh, it's not that I don't believe in those things. I, I do. But, but James has got a slightly different focus for us. And he's saying, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. How many of you know that even when you're prospering, even when you're succeeding in life, even when things are going well, you always have to apply patience and there's always an element of suffering. You can't escape it. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecutions. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy. It's part of the package. But here's what he says. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. How many of you know the story of Job? Do you know what we're talking about? Yeah, he's the guy in who, yeah, there's a book called Job. And uh, everything in his life was going really, really well. He was wealthy. He was prosperous. He had lots of cattle, lots of camels, uh, just a really, really wealthy man and lost everything, lost his kids, lost his property, lost his wealth, and then started to lose his health. Like everything went bad. But he persevered. Now, he, James is helping us understand. There's a principle here. You have heard the perseverance of Job and seen... The end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Tonight's message is called God's Intended End. God's Intended End. You see, James wants us to understand that when you go through life, God has an end in mind that he intends for you to experience blessing. He's compassionate and merciful. On the journey towards the end, there is often pain and suffering. On the journey towards the end. But in the end, God has an intention, and his intention is good. It's not an evil intention. In Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. There's an intention in God that is good. In John chapter 10, Jesus said the thief comes and he comes to kill, to steal and to destroy. So the devil has an intention. It's to rob you. It's to kill you. It's to make you ineffective in life. But God has a different intention. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's God's intended end. And what the enemy wants to do is in the meantime on the journey, he wants you to doubt the goodness of God so that you doubt the intention of God so that you never achieve the end that he has planned and purposed for you. God has an intended end. He's got an intended end for the church in Ephesians chapter 5 that he will present it to himself, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. I remember thinking about that for a long time, without spot or wrinkle. You know when you get spots? 
when you're a teenager, when you're immature. You know when you get wrinkles? <laughs> I'm moving in that direction. <laughs> I'm fighting it. I want you to know. Uh, no plastic surgery yet. But Jesus is going to present himself a church without spot or wrinkle. In other words, not an immature church and not an old hag. But it says in Ephesians 5, a glorious church. That's his intended end for the church, for your life, for us together. It's an intended end. And if, if you don't know the end, how can you endure the process in the meantime? But if you know what the end is like, you know, why does a woman go through birth? I've witnessed it six times. Believe me, it's not easy. That whole pregnancy, you know, the morning sickness and then certain things you can eat and certain things you can't eat. And, and then, you know, if you're pregnant in the summer, you've got your own radiator system. That's annoying. You know, and then there's the final birth thing. You know, and it's like it's at that moment that, that your wife is not quite the loving spouse you married. It's like, it's like demons manifest. <laughs> they grab hold of you and it's like claws going into your skin. And, they, you know, and, and you're saying, oh, that hurts. And she says, that hurts. <laughs> Why do we go through all of that stuff? Because of an intended end. Because of the joy that a child comes into the world. And because of that intended end... We endure, we persevere, and that's what James is telling us here in the life of Job. He was somebody who understood the end, even though he couldn't see the end. Even though he couldn't see it, he knew something about God, and it was carrying him through. And when people were accusing him, saying, you must have sinned, you must have done this wrong, you must have done that wrong, it says Job held fast to his integrity. He said, I don't know what's going on in my life, but I know that's not the right thing. And sometimes we walk with a lack of understanding, but even when we walk with a lack of understanding, we can walk with the knowledge of God's intended end. He's compassionate and full of mercy. Do you get that? It says this in Deuteronomy 8.16, talking about the Lord and about the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness. It says, Who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Did you catch that? So he gave them manna to humble them and to test them, but he had an intention to do you good in the end. Do you know, I believe in life, sometimes we experience humblings and testings. God looks to see what is your heart really like? What is the attitude of heart like? What comes out of you in a situation? Have you ever said something and then later on you said to a person, oh, I didn't mean to say that? Well, the problem was in the moment you did. <laughs> and what you need to do is acknowledge it and then shift and say something has to change. Otherwise, if you keep reacting that way, it just becomes a default setting. Just like... Phil was saying, you become what you practice. That's what you become. But, but God here, he's got an intended end. Now, I, I need about three or four volunteers to come up on stage. I promise you, you won't have to say anything. You won't have to do anything. You're just going to have to stand here, actually. So look at that. Look at that. This is great. Wonderful. Thank you. 
Thank you. Maybe I could have just one more. Oh, look at that. The pregnant lady gets up here, too. This is fantastic. Yeah, if you stand over here, and then you two stand in the middle, and then Nina, if you stand over here. This is, oh, this is good. You sort of need to stand closer together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's for purposes of illustration, okay? So what I want you to do, I want you to imagine that this space here is an e epoch of time, okay, an age, and that this space here is the age that follows, another epoch of time, okay? And in the Bible, uh, Jesus, when he, he talked, he talked about this age and the age to come. So, for instance, when he talked about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, he said it won't be forgiven in this age, nor in the age to come. So, in the Bible, all the biblical uh, authors always talk about this age and the age to come. In fact, they not only do that, um, they give us an understanding that during this age, there's a problem with this age, because this, this is the age where man fell. This is the age where Adam took of the forbidden fruit. This is the age where, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this age rules and reigns. He's the prince of the power of the air. In Ephesians 2, he's the God of this age. Do you get that? And it's in this age that Jesus came and died on a cross to defeat the power of the enemy. And then in this age over here, this is the age of the future. This is the age where Jesus will return and bring the kingdom of God in fullness. This is the age where there is the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth. Everything is going to be wonderful. It's going to be exciting. Here we have righteousness. We have peace. We have joy. It's going to be manifested. The righteousness of God, the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Okay? That's the future. That's the end. That's the goal. The new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven, and it's, it's dwelling with men. By the way, good, God did not save you to go to heaven. He saved you to bring heaven to earth. Hello? Oh, that, that, that's kind of got some of you thinking. Let me give you some scripture. Matthew chapter 6. What do we pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So we're always praying for the kingdom to come. Now... When Jesus died and had victory over the enemy, he went back to heaven and he poured out the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, if Hebrews chapter 6 says this, we begin to taste the powers of the age to come. In other words, this age here, where everything is really, really, really good, we start to taste and experience here. So what happens is you go over there and you come over here. And now we get what we call the overlap. Ooh. Now this age is breaking into this age. Not in fullness. If it was in fullness, we'd all have resurrection bodies right now, but we don't. What we do is we have resurrected spirits. Our spirits have been made alive. That's what it means to be born again. Our spirit has been renewed on the inside. It's been made alive to God. Our mind is being renewed. But right now, because of the Holy Spirit's presence invading this world, we can now begin to change this. And so I don't have to wait to the new age to experience righteousness. In Christ, I can experience righteousness. I don't have to wait till the new age to experience peace. In Jesus Christ, I can have peace. Right here in this present evil age, I am walking with shalom, the peace of God in my heart. In fact, the Holy Spirit can help me produce 
love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, meekness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I'm tasting the power of the age to come. So here's this intended end that God has. But God says, you can start to experience the end now in the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? That's exciting. Give them a clap. Thank you so much. So it all depends on my response to the Holy Spirit. Am I, am I yielded to the Spirit of God? Or if I'm, not, if I'm not yielded to the Spirit of God, you know what? I'm subject to the prince of the power of the air. I'm subject to what goes on in this present evil age. But I can resist that. I can be filled with the Spirit in such a way that now I become an example to other people of what the future looks like. And people can look at me and say, wow, where did you get that peace? Well, I got it from the king of peace. Because the future has invaded the present. That's why Paul could say these words in 2 Corinthians 5. And it makes no sense unless you understand what I'm talking about. He said, if any man is in Christ, he's already a new creation. You don't have to wait for the new creation. In Christ, he is a new creation. In fact, in the Bible, only three times is it said that we're Christians. But 164 times in the New Testament, it says that we're in Christ, in him, or in the Lord. 164 times. Because it's in Christ that I experience the future now. Isn't that exciting? Now, here's the thing. God has a fixed end, a goal. The new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven. Jesus Christ is king. That's never going to change. But the journey to get to the end can change. In other words, there is God's objectives are absolutely fixed. But goals are steps that you take towards the objectives. God says the goals are negotiable, the objectives aren't. The goals are negotiable, the objectives aren't. Now, I know if you're a Calvinist in a room, you're probably struggling with this idea, but let me unpack it for you. There's an aspect to God's will that is contingent on your response. His ultimate purposes are fixed. You cannot change that. But God wants you to be a participator in bringing about those purposes, and those are contingent on you walking in faith and walking filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, if you look at the Bible, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, it was an 11-day journey to go to the land of Canaan. 11 days. But because of their unbelief, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years. Now, I don't feel too bad for them spending 40 years in the wilderness, but I do for Joshua and Caleb. I feel like, imagine you're the two guys who are full of faith, you want to go, yeah, let's go up there at once and possess it. Yeah, they are bread for us. I mean, you know, just, yeah. They probably were from Hillsong. I don't know. <laughs> and then this whole crowd says, nah, nah, not doing that. And then the judgment of God comes and says, okay, you want the wilderness? You can have the wilderness. So in other words, God's plan to get them into the land was delayed 40 years. He eventually got the next generation into the land. So his objective was fulfilled, but his goal wasn't because they didn't apply faith. 
They had to wait for a new generation. What I do like about the story is that when you read the story of Joshua, I mean, he was 110 when he died, and Caleb, when he was 85 years of age, he said, I am this day as strong as I was when I was in my 40s. That's pretty good. In other words, God preserved them. Can I just say this to some of you? The unbelief of someone else will never rob you and stop you from entering into the end and the purpose and objective that God has for you. It will never, it may delay it, but guess what? If God has to add 10 years to your life, he'll do it. He'll do it. Nobody can hold you back. If you are a man or woman of faith, if you're a person who says, I'm yielded to the Spirit, I want all that God has... No one else can keep you back. They might delay the process, but God will add to your life so that you get there. Think about this. God wanted Moses to confront Pharaoh, and and Moses argued with God. He said, no, I can't talk properly. And in the end, God got fed up. He said, okay, take Aaron. He can speak for you. That was never his plan. That was never his purpose. That was never his goal. But because of Moses' insecurity, he said, okay, this doesn't change my objective. It changes the route we're going to take there, but it doesn't change my objective. I'll change the route. God's willing to do that. Why? Because he accommodates our frailty and our humanity and our weakness. In Psalm 103, it says this, he knows our frame and he remembers we're dust. Isn't that beautiful? He knows our frame and he remembers that we're dust. There's a little comment on your life. <laughs> God didn't want kings in Israel. Samuel came to God one day and he said, have you seen what they've done, Lord? They've asked for a king. And God said, just before you get too upset, I just want to tell you they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me from being king over them. So first of all, Samuel, get this in perspective. I'm the one they've rejected, not you, because Samuel's feeling a bit sorry for himself. And so what does God do? He lets them have a king. It was never his desire. Why? Because his desire was that he would be king and one day the king of kings would come. But God looked at his final objective and he said, okay, we're going to take a different route now. Let's give him a king and we'll work with that. Let me give you another example. Some of you are still not convinced. I've got loads. How about this one? When the tribes were going to enter into the land of Canaan, God defined in Joshua chapter 1 the boundaries of the land. It it tells us it's from the Euphrates. It tells us it's the Mediterranean on the left. It tells us where the northern boundary is, where the southern boundary is. God defined the area he wanted to give to the Israelites. And two and a half tribes said, you know what? We rather like the land east of Jordan. We know you're giving us the west of Jordan, but we like the east of Jordan. Moses got incredibly offended. He went to God and he said, did you hear what they said? They're saying that, you, that the land you've given us is not good enough, and, and, and they want the east side of the Jordan. And he thought God was going to say, zap them. Get your rod, you know, let's teach him a lesson. I'm sure Moses thought that God was going to do that. And God said, well, as long as they cross the Jordan and fight with their brothers, that's okay. They're going to have the land on the east. Hello? Do you realize how accommodating God is to human desire? and human will, and human weakness, and human frailty. One thing God will never compromise is his end, his intended end for your life. He will never compromise that. That is not negotiable. That is fixed. 
But what he will do is negotiate with you the route that you take to get there. And sometimes the worst thing that God can give you is what you want. Hello? They wanted a king? He said, okay, have a king. That didn't turn out too well. Not under Saul. It was only when another king came, king came along called David. How many of you know sometimes number two is the number one? Have you figured that out yet? Sometimes the second choice is the best choice. And sometimes we think we know better than God. And the most dangerous thing you can sometimes do is insist that God gives you what you want because he will, but you might have to then persevere in a way you didn't have to before. So I just want to say, I want to encourage you, as you go into 2020, in this new year, understand God's got the best in mind for you. He, he's not going to withhold. The Bible says no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Can you believe that? David wanted to build God a temple. God didn't want a temple. He said, I'm happy in a tent. But David wanted to build a temple. So God says, well, look, before you build me a temple, I want to tell you I'm going to build you something. I'm going to build you an, an enduring dynasty. I'm going to build you a house. And then he let David build him a temple. Why? Because it didn't stop God's ultimate objective, which was what? That people would worship him in spirit and in truth. It was no longer going to be in Jerusalem. It was no longer going to be on this mountain in John chapter 4. It was going to be from the heart. Do you get it? God accommodates us. This is what our Jesus is like. When Joseph was with his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, they were really worried. When their father died, they thought, now Joseph's going to get revenge on us. As long as our dad's alive, you know, he's just holding back. But then they thought, Jacob is now dead. He's now going to take advantage of us. He's now going to kill us. And so they came up with a story. They went to Joseph and they say, hey, before dad died, he told us to tell you this. Forgive us. Please forgive. Don't take revenge. Don't hold it against us. Forgive us. When they said that to Joseph, he actually started to cry. And the reason he wept was a little bit like Jesus when he turned around to one of his disciples and said, have I been so long with you and still you don't know me? It was like, really? You really think that that's what I planned? That that's my intended end? Here are the words that came out of his mouth. Verse 19, Genesis 50. Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me. In other words, you had an intention, you had an end, you had a goal, and it was evil. But God meant it for good. In other words, God used human evil to accomplish divine goals. That is unbelievable. What was his divine goal? Well, let's read on. Look at this. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You see, when you look at Joseph's life, when the famine finally came, he was able to save two nations. The nation of Egypt and the nation of Israel. 
The Bible doesn't tell us about the other nations that probably came to Egypt and to Joseph at that time. It just focuses on those two. But can you imagine if your destiny was to save a nation and God was going to allow you to go through rejection, persecution, accusation, where Joseph actually becomes a refugee in a foreign land and he has to learn a brand new language and he has to do it as a slave. And he loses his status as a son with his nice robe and his colored garments and he loses his status within a family where he's known and suddenly now he's just a slave in Egypt. He's a foreigner, he's a refugee. But the thing about Joseph is there's a calling on his life And there's a purpose for his life. And every time he's put into a situation, his anointing and his calling keeps rising to the surface because God's called him to be a leader. So very, very soon he's leading in Potiphar's house. And even when they stick him in a dungeon in a prison, very, very soon he's leading the whole prison. Because wherever the enemy wants to destroy you, your anointing will keep percolating to the surface no matter what situation you're in. Joseph didn't need to be in his father's house to demonstrate his leadership. He just needed to be in a a situation where his leadership was needed. And instead of feeling sorry for himself, instead of being bitter, instead of being angry, instead of being resentful, he got on with doing what God gave him to do right there in a foreign land as a refugee. And then eventually, what did God do? He promoted him. And when he had the power to take revenge, instead of giving what they expected, he gave what they didn't deserve and they couldn't expect, the mercy of God, because he knew that's what had worked in his life. Friends, I want to tell you, God's got an intended end for your life. It's a good end. It's a great end. It's a plan and a purpose. And no matter what situation you're in, you might feel frustrated. You might say, why doesn't the church recognize my ministry here? And why aren't I recognized there? And why does my boss promote this person instead of me? Just let your gift rise. Let your gift rise. I remember I was working for a company one time. And a guy I'd mentored and coached for over a year got promoted above me. I thought, that's not fair. I created the opportunity for him. He owes everything to me, and he's got the salary. He got the blessing. I went home, and I was unhappy. And me and the Lord had a talk. And I said, I'm not happy, Lord. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, if you want to overcome this, there's only one way. And I thought, great. I was expecting him to say spiritual warfare. You know, take authority in Jesus' name. The Holy Spirit said to me, serve him. I said, could you say something else, please? (laughs) Do you know, as a Christian, I've never had a problem hearing from God, but I've often had a problem obeying him. After me, Christian, oh, I don't hear. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You just don't like what he said. That's your issue. Then you go to half a dozen people until you finally hear the thing that you wanted to hear. Ah, but they told me. Yeah, right. Well done. Let's see how that works out. 
You're just not trusting in the goodness of God. Come on. So I, I really, I, I went back with an attitude and he was embarrassed. He was embarrassed about the promotion. He said, I know this should have gone to you. And I said, don't worry, Paul, don't worry. I said, I've dealt with it in my heart. I'm going to serve you as best as I can. And I did, and I served him. And you know what? After a year, he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle the pressure. He couldn't handle anything. He left, and then I got the promotion. And, and God was testing my heart. And do you know what? Within a year, the department that I led became the most successful department in that company. And, and I could have just got angry. I could have got bitter. I could have got resentful. I could have walked, well, they don't recognize who I am. I'm going to go somewhere else. No, no, sometimes God is testing you because he has an intended end. You see, Joseph, in the beginning, he didn't see the intended end. He just saw the injustice. He saw the hate. He saw the jealousy. That's the stuff he saw. But as time went on, he began to see the purpose of God. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God is bigger than the evil the enemy wants to bring into your world. God is bigger. And God has an intention. Who knows if God hasn't ordained for you to save many lives? Who knows? And he's just preparing you. He's preparing you for your destiny. He's preparing you to walk in something that you could never walk in in your own strength. I want to encourage you. Be a people in 220 who decide... I'm going to persevere. I'm going to be somebody who not only has passion in my life, I've got perseverance. I'm going to push through the pain. I'm going to push through the rejection. I'm going to push through things. And I'm going to let the gift of God in my life just keep percolating through. I'm just going to be who I am and cultivate a sweet spirit. Not a jealous spirit, not a resentful spirit, not a bitter spirit. Cultivate a sweet spirit where worship becomes your default. You know what I love about Job? When all this disaster and calamity came into his life, he fell on his knees and he said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked came I into the world. Naked shall I return. Blessed be his name. He worshipped. If you want to keep your heart pure and sweet and tender, be somebody who worships. Be somebody who perseveres. Be somebody who understands there's an intended end here. And even though I can't see it, God is going to carry me to it. And I believe his word will find fulfillment in your life. And I believe that the testimony that you carry will inspire many, many, many other people. Could you all say amen? amen. Wonderful. Would you stand to your feet? Maybe you're here tonight and you've never said yes to God. You've never surrendered your life to him. Or maybe you did a long time ago, but you know you've not walked with him. And perhaps part of the reason is you doubted the goodness of God. You doubted his intended end for your life. I want to tell you tonight, you are deeply loved by a God in heaven. He's proven his love by sending his only begotten son into the world. Jesus just didn't come into the world to die on a cross. Jesus was born into the world, and he understood what it meant to be a refugee. He lived a number of years in Egypt. He had to run away because Herod wanted to kill him. And then he grew up in a slum in Nazareth, and he knew people's poverty, and he knew their sickness, and he knew their pain. 
And he knew what it was like to have an invading army come into his country. And suddenly they're an occupied land with Roman soldiers, with false gods everywhere. Jesus lived and grew up in that kind of world. And he brought a message of hope. The kingdom of God is as close as your hand if you'll surrender to his kingship. If you'll allow the king to come into your life and into your heart, he can change you from the inside out. He has an intended end for you. It's to give you life and life more abundantly. You can pursue your own way of doing things in life, but so often it leads to disappointment. I want to tell you, God's never going to disappoint you. He's got a future and a hope for you.